0: that we might be able to move, God, for God, we cannot move lest you speak. We thank you and we praise you. It is in Jesus name that we pray in Jesus name. Amen. And thank God this morning's message. I want you to look at it from three different perspectives. What we want to deal with today is the church. When we deal with the church, we're looking at the church in three facets. We're looking at what's known as the universal church. That is the body of believers all over this world. And then we look at it from the local church, which is this local assembly. And then we wanna look at it from an individual standpoint because we are the church. The individuals make up the church. Understand that whenever the Bible speaks of church, it never references a building. It is the people who make up that building that make up the church. And so we're going to take a look at this, and I'm going to be trying to highlight on all three of those aspects of the church. So don't feel picked on, because I'm looking at it from a general standpoint of the state of the church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation, the second chapter. And we're reading You're hearing the first seven verses, Revelation, the second chapter. And he reads, Unto the angels of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and thou ha- how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles. And are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my sake have labored, and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of thy uh, out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, for thy hated the deeds of the Nicolodians, uh, which I have also hated. And he that hath ear, let him hear with the spirit of the Lord, spirit of the says unto the church, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. From this text, I would like to preach from this thought. It was a good church, but not a loving church. It was a good church, but not necessarily a loving church. The state of the church today, but let me preface it with this first. Understand that the church, the universal church, still belongs to God. It is still in Jesus' possession. Even with some ungodly leadership, even with some false doctrine that is being uh, spread throughout the internet and throughout the airwaves, God still has not lost his church the church right now is still in good standing in terms of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand that the only thing that can take the church out of God's hands is that they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, they were never really a church at all. Because Jesus said that, that he would keep his church. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is still keeping his church. But understand that the church right now, even the body in the body of believers, has become splintered, has become divided. And I don't know, in, at least in my history, I've never seen a church so divided as we see today. I began to do some research on the church of today. And it has become splintered along partisan lines. The church has become a political focal point and has divided the church into two different parties. And understand that the church was never designed. be political and I don't care what anybody says we were never designed to be political my job as a Christian is not to settle all the disputes or social disputes of this world my job is to preach the gospel to be an example to people to let them know that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord And so therefore, I stay out of the political arena until they do something that goes against what God has said. And understand, understand that there are some in the universal church that have taken great stances and have done some great things. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, the killing of innocent babies is one of them. We need to do this work. That work needs to be done. But understand that if you're going to take a stand for the unborn and the killing of the unborn, then you also need to take a stand for the killing of black men at the hands of white police officers. (laughs) We need to understand that. You cannot have it both ways. And so therefore, that's why I stay out of that arena. I applaud them for the work that they're doing. It's a great work, but is it loving? Can we really as a church still say that we are loving people? Because if we're loving, then we'll be concerned about everybody. We won't just pick and choose the people that we're going to care about or the ones we're going to deal with. It must be everybody. Now, 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 now some may say that, 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 that Pastor Minor used to preaching a lot about this love, and, and I ought to. Because the love is the foundation to everything we do in the body of Christ. It is the foundational work that we have when we do it. And if you're doing any work for the cause of Christ and it's not founded in love, then you're wasting your time. There are some things that are necessary, there is some work that is necessary. But make sure you keep in Christ and make it it Christ-centered. Because if it's Christ-centered, it'll be love-centered. We'll do it for the right reasons. And then we'll get the right results. But when we look at the church, we look at the fighting, the infighting. The reality of it is, is that there is a war that's going on within the church. When we look at the universal church which was actually birthed at the day of Pentecost in 1 Corinthians in the 12th chapter said that we were all baptized, listen, into one body. And just as that body, the body has many members, so does the body of Christ. It has many members. All of us have different giftings that God has given us. And God does not disrupt our intellect when he saves us. It's, us. it's up to us to bring every thought into subjection to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So on an individual basis, all of us need to be in our minds saying, okay, is this lining up what God says to do? And the number thing, one thing that we need to uh, uh, line up is our love for God and one another. You see, you see, you see, you say, what, 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 what about sin? What, what about the sin problem that we have? Listen here, if, you ta- if we take care of the love issues, we'll take care of the sin problems. Because if you love God, you won't sin against God. You'll find it more difficult to sin against God. And understand this that if you love your brother and sister, you'll find it difficult to sin against them. So you don't need you don't need a, you know, a person standing over you beating you over the head with the Bible to tell you that you're wrong. Because if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit is already doing that. My job is to tell you what the word of God says. Your job is to listen to the Holy Spirit and let the word of God perfect you. That's what he's come to do. Would you thought you had the Holy Ghost just so he could just sit alongside of you and do nothing? Absolutely not. He should be urging you. He should be telling you. He should be whispering to you. That ain't right. That spirit that you have in you is not right. And that's the problem is that in the church, there's too many different spirits that are going throughout the church. You got some folk that are in the church that are bitter and have been bitter for quite some time. There are some people in the church that are bitter and they don't even know what they're bitter for. You ask them what they they bitter for. I, I, I don't know. You got some folk that are angry and they've forgotten what the transgression was that made them angry. But we've been doing it for so long. To where it's become a part of us. And here's the deal. Because you still come to church. You still working in the church. You still on the usher board. You still in the choir. Well. Not that many are in the choir. Which we need to deal with right. We need some soldiers. We need some foot soldiers in the choir. I know some of y'all out there can sing. We need some foot soldiers. You're still on the deacon board. You're still in the pulpit. You're still in the pews. You're a trustee. You're still doing your work. But you're scorned. And you're to a place to where you, you, you just don't feel that same love that you had for the work that you're doing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're working but you're wounded. You're working, but you you have this pain that you can't overcome. That's what this church here at Ephesus had become. Now understand that this church at Ephesus did not begin there. This church at Ephesus was perhaps one of the most affluent churches in all of church history in in the word of God. It was a church that was was a seaport town. Ephesus was a seaport town. A whole lot of commercial industry came through there. There was a lot of money being made at Ephesus. The church was thriving. They had great workers. If you went into this church at Ephesus, you would see people. There there would be ushers lined up across the back. There would be people that were, were beckoning to your every need. Ministry was going forth at Ephesus. It was a good church. But it lacked one thing. It lacked love. Look here in the text. In the text, it said, he said, he said yeah, Jesus Christ, this is Jesus Christ. He's speaking to his church. And understand that, that, that if, if you won't hear Jesus Christ and what he's saying to the church, you ain't going to hear nobody else either. Here he's talking to the church. He said, he, said, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. In other words, he's saying, that I, I see you work. This word er, uh, works there is actually ergo, which we get our name ergonomics from. Ergonomics is, is how we uh, process and do work that we're being paid for. Here he said, I know that you're working. I see that you're working. And not only are you working, you are laboring. The word there for Greek for laboring actually means to work until exhaustion. So these people were enduring. They were working. And, and when they was finished working, all they could do was lay down and go to sleep. And I don't see that much today. Well, we're working in the church to the point to where we won't let nothing interrupt us nor stop us. Now, understand, there's some good things we can learn from this church. He said that I know your works and your labor and your patience. In other words, these people were enduring great hardship, but yet and still, they still showed up. And my question to you, what will it take to stop you from showing up? How how, how much can you really endure? Usually nowadays, it don't take much to stop us from coming in here and giving God worship. But when we reflect at how good God has been to us, how mighty he's been in our acts, how he's brought us through some things, but yet still we'll sit down on God because we stub our toe or because someone does not speak to us. It doesn't take much for people to get upset and angry with the church because it did not go your way. But understand this, that none of us get in our way all the time in the church of God. And as it should be, none of us should get our way. God's way should always be the way. <laughs> These people were looking the part. They were doing the work. But not only this, but they also from 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 from, from a doctrinal standpoint, they were, they were they were solid. He says, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. In other words, they were intolerant to sin. Listen here, this church had it together. They had the ministries. They didn't deal with sin. They they confronted sin. They dealt with sin. They didn't let sin just sit in their presence and not do anything about it, not say anything about it. And the minute you become tolerant to sin, then you begin to lose because sin stinks in the nostrils of God. And guess what? If it stinks in God's nostril, it stinks in mine as well. And sin should be dealt with. But it should be dealt with in a loving way. Far too many times we push folk away because of how we try to deal with their sin. In the first place, we need to deal with the sin in our own lives. Before we go trying to fix somebody else's life. You make sure you got it all together before you try to fix somebody else. You got the words to fix other folk. Use the same word to fix yourself. So they dealt with sin. He said that thou has tried them which say that they are an apostle and are not and found them to be Liars. This is is looking at the leadership. In other words, they didn't tolerate bad leadership. They they, they didn't tolerate those ones who were imposters to the faith. And they scrutinized them so much to the point to where they found them to be liars, that they were not telling the truth. One of the greatest indications of a great uh, uh, leader in the church is whether or not he's walking and speaking in truth. If he ever gets in a lie and refuses to come out of the lie, then he's not God's man because God is true. He is the truth, and so therefore his leader must be also walking and talking and preaching the truth. All of these preachers—they—they they, coming up with so many strange doctrines nowadays. And my question to you, where did you get that from? Book, chapter, verse. Book, chapter, verse. Let me know where it is. In the book, what book is it in? What chapter is it in? What verse is it in? And they're taking scriptures out of context. They're, they're, they're trying to make the Bible say what it really does not say. You better be careful, Preacher. You better be careful what you put out across this sacred desk. You better be careful what you put out in just private conversation with other people. And if you don't, will not challenge it. If you will not stand against it, people will have the perception perception that you agree with it. There's some things we need to take a stand against. But understand we must do it in love. Listen, he said that, he said, in verse number three, he said, and have borne and have patience for my name's sake and have labored and not fainted. In other words, this church did not give up at the the sign of of, of trouble or tribulation. They did not stop. They were tenacious about what they were doing. They 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 were always moving forward. They were a progressive church. I say, if you went in this church on a Sunday morning, all looked well. The pews were filled. The lights were on. They were singing praises unto God. They were teaching sound doctrine. The pastor would get up and give a a, a real convicting message. This is what Jesus said. He's observing the church. And understand, just like Jesus observed this church of over 2,000 years ago, he's observing the church right now. He's looking at the church right now. And Jesus knows that he has a plan for his church. And that plan is going to come to pass. And everybody is not going to be a part of that plan. Because just because you're in the church building does not make you a part of the church. And that's why you need to make certain that you are in the church and that the church is in you. You need to make sure that you're walking on firm foundation. You need to make sure that you're not fooling yourself this morning. That you are really in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most critical assessment that you can make of your whole life. Is making sure that you're right. In God's eyes. It's a good church. Jesus says that he commends them for this. He applauds them for them. But all then comes verse number four. And the nevertheless. Anytime you hear nevertheless, the direction about to change, brother Chestnut. He said nevertheless. In other words, he had credited them for all the good that they had done Verse number two and verse number three. But nevertheless is a debit to their account. It is a subtraction. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So, in other words, every, out of everything that you're doing, out of all the good that you're doing, if you're not loving, Christ has something against you. If you have not been able to show, listen here, genuine love. And you'll know when you're showing genuine love. Because genuine love will always cost you something. It'll cost you forgiveness. Being able to forgive folk that you don't want to forgive. It'll cause you to give people who have taken from you in the past. It will cause you to love people unconditionally. That's what genuine love does. Listen here. Genuine love looks beyond folks' fault and see their needs. That's what genuine love does. You see, love is an action word. It moves. It compels you to do something that you wouldn't ordinarily do. First Peter said that love will cover a multitude of sin. In other words, you'll put up with some stuff you wouldn't ordinarily put up with because of love. So what is the problem? He's talking to this church. Listen, this, this is not GM or Ford or Chrysler or anything. This is the church. I, I, I can understand that stuff happening outside of the church. This is the ecclesia, the call out ones, the church. And for the church who has been founded and have been saved under the principle of love and you will not love, shame on you. Shame on you. When you kept carrying grudges, angry about stuff that happened four or five years ago, and you can't get over it. Where, 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 where's the love? Where's the love at? Listen, I, I, know, I, know, I know that, 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 that some, of, some of us, you know, love, loving is difficult. I know that, that perhaps there's some things that have happened in your past. And you have some trust issues. But understand that God comes to heal all of that. I don't listen. I don't care what has happened to you in the past. God is well able to heal every wound, every hurt. But what it takes is it takes you surrendering it it to him. Some of us, some of us, some of us want to hold on to that pain, to that hurt, because it's what left and makes us alive. And you need to understand that Jesus said that I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. God wants to deal with every pain, every hurt, every situation. He wants to interject forgiveness in your heart that you might be able to live again. Many of people are not really living. They're merely existing. God wants to interject life. Not just in the universal church, not just in this local assembly, but He wants to interject life into your life. You see, because when you operate in bitterness, when you are unloving, for the Christian, this is the most miserable state to be in. Because I've walked in unforgiveness. And then the total time that I walked in, I was was miserable. It made everything hurt. You you, you ever had a pain that, you know, like a toothache? Toothache make the whole body ache. And that's what bitterness does. But he said, I have something to get. He said said, that you've left your first love. And understand that that's that's, that's bad news when you left your first love love. But the good news here is that he said you left your first love. He Didn't say you lost your first love. You see, because when you lose something, it takes some effort to find it. But if you left your first love, you know where you left it at. You can always go back to where you left it at. And that's what he tells them, he, he tells them that, 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 that they are tough. Repent, he said, remember therefore uh, from whence thou hast fallen. In other words, reflect back where you left your first love at. You at one time, you were an exalted church. You were a church that, 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 that folk could look at. You were a model for excellence. But you're now falling to a place of despair. and unloving and are not compassionate at all he said you've fallen he said but repent and do the first works in other words go back to the old landmark go go, go back to that time when, when Christ first saved you you remember when you first got saved don't you couldn't nobody sit you down couldn't nobody shut you up you told everybody about what the Lord had done for you this is what we need to go back to Because we've been wounded in the church, we've been beat up, and we've become unloving. But here he said, repent. Repent means to change the way you think about the situation. And that's where it all begins, changing how we perceive things. Which will result in us turning around and going back and picking up the love that we dropped off way back when. You see, because, because most of them come in, we have what's known as a, a facsimile of love. It's a pseudo love. It looks like love. But there's really nothing genuine about it. Because genuine love will always do something. It will persevere. It will continue to go forward. You see, because that's where we get our strength from. It's the joy of the Lord, the love of the Lord. Listen, is it it not ironic that the fruit of the Spirit begins with love? It begins with love. And the reason why it begins with love, because love is the key. Listen here, love that I'm speaking of is patient. It's a patient love. It is a constructive love. It's not a destructive love. It does not tear down one another. It builds people up. It is a love that, is, that, 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 that expresses itself in what it does, not by what it says. It is a deliberate action on your behalf. It is a surrendering of your will for the greater need of someone else. And it is to be reciprocated. Because when you begin to give love, you will reciprocate love. Love will come back to you. But if you're mean and you're spiteful, you're unforgiving, so as a man sow, so shall he also reap. So if you're not getting love back to you, guess what? Perhaps you ain't giving it out. Perhaps you're not showing it like you should show it. Because this is, this, is, this is action here. This is something that transforms our lives. I don't just love, I am love. Because I have the spirit of Christ living inside of me. How can I do anything else but love people? And if I love you, I'm going to have your best interest at heart. I'm going to always give more than I take when I love. When I give, I don't give expecting anyone to pat me on the back. I don't expect an attaboy. You're doing a great job. Those things are fine, but I'm working for a well done. And the only way that I can get that is that I love people genuinely from my heart. That I share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because understand that the greatest expression of love took place over 2,000 years ago, Dick, on a hill called Calvary. Anybody know about Calvary? One of the greatest expressions of love took place on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. Jesus came down and, 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 and worked amongst us. He demonstrated to us how we are to love one another. He gave himself. He, he surrendered his life for us. This was the greatest love that we could ever experience was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't you see him? He had every right and every authority to call on the angels to defend him. But he did not. It was because of his love for us that he did this he seen us in our own wretched condition and said the only way that they're going to get right is that i go all the way to calvary's cross that i give my life as a sacrifice because that's what god required for us the wages of sin is death but the gift of god's eternal life through jesus christ our lord yes he died for us an expression of love he gave his life for us he died upon that cross. Yes, they hung him high. They stretched him wide. Yeah. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Yeah. Pierced him in his side. He hung his head in the locks of his shoulder and he died on Calvary. Yeah. He gave up the ghost. Yeah. They buried him in a tomb but on the third day he rose victoriously in Jesus. He rose with all power of heaven and earth yeah. in his hand. That's love. That's love. And he still loves us. He loves us so much that he's standing at the right-hand side of the Father. And he's making intercessions for us. He's still praying for us. He's still speaking on our behalf. And he's coming back again. Yes, he's coming back again for his church. He's going to rapture us one day. He's going to be caught up with the Lord. We'll ever be with the Lord. He's coming back. Will you be ready? And the only ones he's coming back for are the ones who have that love that goes from heart to heart and from breast to breast. It is a love that is demonstrated. A love that can be seen and not just heard. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open.